yes, I am happy to be back amongst my friends at St. John's. Believe it or not, this is the fifth time I've talked about this topic. I hope I can find something new to say. <laughs> I can, because it is an ongoing topic. Um, and uh, there, I was last uh, at Learners Exchange in April of, the, of 2015. I was going to say 1915, but <laughs> I'm still in that century. Um, uh, and uh, there have been very important developments on this crucial test case. I'm going to say a few things uh, uh, soon about why this is a very, very important case. But there have been new developments, and... Uh, today I'm going to be talking primarily about uh, what uh, the Court of Appeals uh, for British Columbia has ruled as of last November um, uh, regarding uh, the uh, ongoing attempt by uh, Trinity Western University uh, to uh, establish a law school. Uh, and that's the, uh, uh, the Court of Appeal is good news, so we're going to have some good news today, but not without uh, a lot of controversy and uh, a lot of questions, as this uh, ruling will, and indeed uh, the Supreme Court of Canada has uh, uh, just last month uh, said uh, that it would hear the appeals from Trinity Western and from uh, the Law Society on uh, the ventures of uh, uh, British Columbia then. So it's going right to the top, and uh, it will be a very, very important uh, decision, uh, not just for Trinity Western, but for all of us, uh, uh, Christians, faith communities in Canada, the nature. It's a constitutional question, and it's uh, uh, a, a very, very important one then. Um, so uh, now what is at stake here? Uh, and uh, for Trinity Western and for Christian faith communities uh, in Canada, it is uh, really a question of the nature of uh, Canadian pluralism uh, in a modern culture which has uh, been transformed over the last 50, 60 years. And what religious freedoms, religious rights and freedoms, as it's put in uh, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, uh, uh, how they are to be exercised, what will be their limitations, uh, in face of the challenges uh, uh, of a, an increasingly uh, secularist uh, society where uh, as we will see at the heart of this uh, dispute, equality rights, uh, uh, which have equal standing uh, in uh, the rights that are set out in uh, Section uh, 2 and Section 15 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedom. So here there is a tremendous conflict uh, going on, and uh, uh, this is uh, what has been going through the courts, uh, 
and uh, through much of the discourse in law societies across Canada, the Canadian Bar Association, and indeed then uh, uh, the courts. So the issues are very, very important ones. Now, uh, I am approaching this uh, through uh, what I hope a good number of you will remember, the outlines of um, a long-term project I have, which is examining uh, law and politics in Canadian culture since really the Second World War. And uh, uh, as I said earlier, I published uh, several articles on all of this, and uh, uh, I'm now at the stage of all of this, uh, that I want to tie it all together as the uh, culminating project of my career, actually, as a historian, and publish it in uh, book form. But let me say, never change houses when you have projects like this. And uh, most of my time right now is uh, putting down insulation and flooring in the attic so I have room to store all the stuff that I've collected, uh, and I have to sort it out and add it into uh, the material that I've already um, published. But a very quick review now, um, just forget about that, I'm going to talk about it, the various stages uh, and changes of the nature of Canadian jurisprudence and pluralism within that, um, uh, really since the beginning of Canada, and I'm just going to say very brief uh, review of all of this because what I then I'm going to focus on uh, the ruling from uh, the British Columbia Court of Appeal and uh, but it fits into this broader context that I want to uh, just say a few things about. From the beginning Canada uh, was a what finally was articulated uh, Uh, by the mid-20th century or by the the time of the Second World. Canada was a Christian democracy. Um, uh, If if there was pluralism, then it was a Christian pluralism, a denominational pluralism, particularly a pluralism between Catholic Canada centered in Quebec and Protestant Canada and its denominations uh, throughout the rest of Canada. It was a type of Christendom. Um, And so that's the first type of pluralism um, we have. This lasts uh, through the Second World War and into the 1950s, but then things begin to change. We shift from uh, a Christian, uh, manifestly Christian pluralism, although it's not an establishment pluralism uh, or Christian establishment like uh, our British tradition, uh, neither is it a a separationist uh, 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 situation as you have in the United States where uh, an establishment is uh, proscribed. Um, and there is, you know, church and state are supposed to be separate. Indeed, the British and the Americans and the Canadians all functionally are the same as there is a Christian uh, religious hegemony through this period that articulates and uh, serves as a foundation for uh, public morality and uh, and law. Now, uh, by, by the time of the 1950s, things are beginning to change. A major uh, element in all of this is what happened 
happens during the Second World War in terms of the Nazi um, uh, attempt to uh, liquidate uh, the Jews and several other communities as well, too. So uh, in the 1950s, uh, the Jewish communities in Canada are brought into uh, the religious condominium uh, and we have then uh, no longer a manifestly Christian uh, pluralism, but a religious uh, a pluralism. And this is articulated most, uh, and I've published on all of this, uh, when it comes uh, to the Diefenbaker uh, period uh, to write a Canadian Bill of Rights, which he uh, and the Conservative Party always love to call the Diefenbaker um, a Bill of Rights. But it was manifestly uh, not uh, explicitly Christian, but it was uh, more broadly inclusive, and the Jew, uh, the Jewish community is the community first uh, embraced in all of this then, and they were happy uh, to cooperate in the shaping of uh, uh, the uh, Canadian Bill of Rights, which uh, was legislated in 1960. By the time of uh, the centennial of Canada, Expo 67, um, things had uh, shifted more. The growing number of uh, uh, migrants from Muslim countries, uh, growing Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist population in Canada, along with other um, non-Christian religious communities, um, we have under uh, the Pearson government, again, quite manifestly, a liberal pluralism, which is no longer manifestly Christian or even faith-based, but all of the uh, uh, communities are drawn in, and you can see this in how Expo is set up with various religious uh, groups setting up their pavilions, including two Christian pavilions. Uh, the uh, uh, There was the Christian pavilion, and then the, uh, what was it called? It was the uh, sermons from science that represented most of the evangelical uh, churches at Expo quite successfully. But it was uh, seemingly a happy situation where the government was positive in encouraging the faith communities of Canada to have public life, public visibility, public participation as symbolized in Expo uh, 67. Um, then we come to that great watershed decade as uh, historians and others see it now in greater clarity, the 1960s, where everything seemingly changes. In all the Western modernized countries, the old social structures and politics of Christendom came apart. Um, challenged by new migration patterns and demography, declining church membership status and influence, the civil rights, the human rights movement, indeed the human rights revolution that uh, takes off through this period, uh, the pill and the uh, massive sexual revolution of that period. In Canada, beyond all of these ma massive changes taking place as part of Western uh, cultural transformation, we have the added challenge of the Quiet Revolution and French-Canadian nationalism. And here we get, of course, to Pierre uh, Trudeau. I've talked a fair amount about him before, so I won't uh, um, uh, say too much more now, other than that he... Uh, 
uh, is uh, very, very central to what happens in the type of uh, leadership. Uh, this is a wonderful uh, example of, as Don, one of our great uh, uh, long since dead historians, Donald Creighton. Creighton saw history as the juncture of character and circumstance. And in Canadian history, there is no greater example of Trudeau grabbing the circumstances and uh, uh, exercising a transformative uh, leadership. Uh, as justice minister first, and then as a liberal prime minister after 1968. It was Trudeau who charted uh, a new liberal Canada. And you will remember many of these uh, terms in biling bilingualism, biculturalism, then multiculturalism, participatory democracy, and a new pluralism to address the multiple revolutionary challenges faced in Canada by the late 1960s. And then finally, his culminating uh, legacy, um, a human rights revolution entrenched in the Canadian Charter of uh, Rights the, 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 and Freedoms, the first section of the new Canadian, the patriated Canadian Constitution of 1982. Now, at the core of Trudeau's uh, agenda was and uh, here you have to understand the background of uh, his role in Quebec and uh, the era of Duplessis and uh, Catholic Christendom uh, in Quebec, but it was central to Trudeau indeed to get religion out of politics. Um, and uh, uh, the, uh, I, I think it's worth quoting this again because it's so central in terms of uh, his legacy, what happens, what goes into the Constitution, and in our particular focus today, the standing and role and functions of religion in Canadian society. He addressed Parliament then in, this is in 1967, on the cardinal themes of the new jurisprudence and uh, what we can call a secularist pluralism. We are now living in a social climate in which people are beginning to realize, perhaps for the first time in the history of this country, that we are not entitled to impose the concepts which belong to a sacred society upon a civil or profane society. The concepts of civil society in which we live are pluralistic. Here's the term, and it has been used for some time, and Louis Saint Laurent used this term uh, uh, way back in the 1950s, and uh, legal uh, writing and uh, discourse in Canada was focusing on this. And Trudeau picked up much of this theory in, in his studies in France, in England, and particularly in Harvard. But anyway, um, the, the concepts of the civil society in which we live are pluralistic, and I think this parliament realizes that it would be a mistake for us to try to legislate into this society concepts which belong to a theological or sacred order. Okay, you can see Duplessis turning in his grave at that point. He was dead uh, by this time, but uh, this was a direct challenge, not only to Catholic Quebec, but to the rest of Canada, too, and the central role that religion had played in culture, law, constitutional uh, reality. 
Okay, then as Trudeau's grand design for constitutional reform unfolded, um, and when we got into the actual drafting of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms within the newly patriated uh, Canadian Constitution, as the old BNA Act was brought back from uh, from uh, Britain and uh, then written into Canadian constitutional law, um, we, uh, Trudeau was opposed very explicitly to any reference in uh, the Charter of Rights uh, to a religious uh, and transcendent uh, foundation then. And so there was a great discourse uh, on uh, the role of God in the Canadian Constitution. Um, Trudeau, and let me quote him again, you've heard this before, but let me say that I was the one that got this one out of the archives uh, uh, in interviewing uh, members of the Liberal Party. Trudeau, as uh, there was a cry to honour the long-term tradition of Canada uh, as uh, under the sovereignty or supremacy of God, uh, uh, Trudeau opposed all of this. What Trudeau wanted was, yes, let's politically handle this by putting a reference to God in the national anthem. So that's why we have God keep our land glorious and free. That, that was uh, Trudeau's idea. Um, but he didn't want it in the Constitution. And what he said in uh, the Liberal Caucus is, is, is quite uh, typical of his expression and rhetoric. He said, I don't think that God gives a damn whether he's in the Constitution or not. Okay, and so we have that, uh, that legacy there. Now, he lost this fight. The Conservatives mobilized along with major Protestant, evangelical, Catholic communities in Canada, and they got more uh, friction and more uh, correspondence and lobbying on this than any other issue. Um, uh, as the Constitution was being drafted, and finally the Liberals uh, bent. Uh, Trudeau was advised by the linkage within the Liberal Party um, uh, that if he didn't put this in the Constitution, the Conservatives would have this forever and ever, and it would cost the Liberals. Um, to put it mildly, a hell of a lot of votes in, <laughs> in the future. It was David, Senator David Smith that gave me all the inside stuff uh, on all of this. He was, uh, well, he was the Liberal Senate leader until uh, uh, now there are no Liberals, apparently. They're all independent uh, senators. <laughs> Don't believe it. Uh, <laughs> So it got into uh, uh, the charter, but uh, it was over the opposition of the governing party. And certainly uh, Jean Chrétien, who was justice minister, was deeply uh, opposed uh, to all of this. Well, uh, Trudeau didn't get his way, but in many ways we have been living in the age of Trudeau since the 1960s. And I see three distinct um, uh, types or visions of pluralism which are struggling for primacy in Canadian jurisprudence. First, an open liberal pluralism, the pluralism favored by the Pearson liberals, which welcomes or at least permits religious participation in public life. 
Secondly, the Trudeau or Chrétien type of uh, secularist pluralism, very powerful in, uh, in, uh, in Quebec, uh, most powerful there than any part of Canada. But this is uh, a type of exclusionary secularist pluralism which assigns religion to the private sphere. And thirdly now, and this is where I think uh, we see the courts moving uh, more and more intentionally and explicitly, uh, what we could call a neutral or neutralist pluralism, where the state adopts a strictly neutral position regarding religion in the public sphere, but including now fully the rights of atheists. Now, how do you balance all of this? Not an easy task by any means, but this is the language uh, and in case law uh, what is happening in Canada now. Indeed, there has been uh, much significant case law in recent uh, years where the focus has increasingly centered on the contest between religious freedom rights of individuals and their religious communities, and on the other hand, equality rights claiming charter protections against discrimination. Uh, So these are the key words. And uh, Section 15, which addresses uh, uh, discrimination and lists the the types of discriminations that are uh, illegal, uh, and those rights, as we all know, have been uh, expanded by written in and, you know, uh, case laws from sex to sexual orientation was written in. That's the key thing. And this is at the heart of much of, uh, of what I'm addressing uh, uh, today then. Um, so here we come. Oh, <laughs> Here we come to uh, Trinity Western uh, University. Then, Now, there's really just one screen that I want to pull up here, and we'll get to it, if we can, when I uh, uh, actually get to it. Now, in uh, June of, of uh, 2012, after much careful preparation, Trinity Western University presented a proposal to establish a faith-based law school presented this to the BC Minister for Advanced Education and the Federation of Law Societies of Canada to seek the necessary permissions and accreditation. Some 60 law students would be enrolled beginning September of 2016. Well, it hasn't happened, and we're now in 2017, and it won't happen this year. It may happen in the fall of uh, 2018 if things go well with the Supreme Court of Canada. But anyway, there's been much uh, delay uh, in all of this. Now, things went well through the first phase, um, and in December of 2013, the B.C. Minister and the Federation of Law Societies indeed, which was established uh, by the bar associations across Canada or the law societies across Canada to handle uh, the the, uh, uh, applications for new law schools uh, in Canada. Um, uh, So that was Trinity Western went through all of the necessary hoops uh, and got the permission of the minister, the BC minister, and the Federation of Law Societies. 
Um, and the, uh, uh, the Law Society, represented by their executives, the benchers, as they're called in B.C., they also um, gave approval uh, to the Trinity Western case on the usual merits, treating them like everybody else, quality of students, faculty, uh, <coughs> capabilities, uh, a, a good curriculum, the resources uh, uh, to operate this kind of a school, the distinctions of their program and mission, all of this was fine. So Trinity Western passed all the hurdles, and this was despite um, uh, Trinity Western's transparency about their confessional nature and their uh, community covenant, which all students and members of the university uh, had to adhere to. They had to sign on to this if they wanted to teach there, if they wanted to work there, if they wanted to be students there. So this was up front, nothing being hidden. The covenant which is the heart of the whole controversy here, we'll see, did not require students and others to agree to a religious or theologically grounded um, creed of faith or statement of faith. Rather, it requires pledges to behave according to specific norms which reflect the confessional basis of the university. Most of these behavioral norms are standard, uh, as standard as they are exemplary both positively and proscriptive, proscriptively. I'm not going to list them all, but, you know, this is the road to sainthood for Christians and, and for all of us. This is what we would aspire to do. Accept the divinely inspired Bible as a guide to holy life, modeling one's life on the example of Jesus. But in the detailed norms listed, members of Trinity Western uh, pledged not only to cultivate these Christian virtues, but to abstain from, and here I quote, this is, the, this is the crux of the matter, sexual intimacy that violates the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman. Okay, you can see where that's going to lead to. It, indeed, it was this prescription uh, of uh, sexual intimacy outside of marriage between a man and a woman that sparked impassioned objections from the LGBT uh, community and their advocates, including human rights commissions, lobbyists, progressive academics, the Canadian Bar Association, uh, the deans of law schools across Canada, and then the uh, programs in several universities, including UBC, Simon Fraser, uh, that focused on gender and women's studies, um, and, of course, the LGBT community itself and uh, the media that supported them. This became a cause celebre. Soon a very effective campaign was mounted calling for the suppression of uh, uh, Trinity Western's law school plans as such an institution would promote unlawful and damaging discrimination against the LGBT community, especially those who were in same-sex marriages. And, of course, that became uh, legal in Canada, uh, same-sex civil marriage as of 2005. 
So Trinity Western was proscribing, proscribing something that was uh, uh, legal. Um, so it was. It, this became a very controversial um, uh, confrontation. Soon, lawyers and their bar associations took notice of all of this, and although the Federation of Law Societies of Canada had affirmed Trinity's applications, and although the executive of the Law Society of British Columbia, the Ventures, had done the same, several of the provincial law society societies now had second thoughts, including the Law Society of British Columbia. And several of these law societies then held special meetings and votes, which re, uh, in, in motions or resolutions that were passed, uh, aimed to prevent recognition of graduates of Trinity Western University's uh, proposed uh, law school. Unless the uh, community covenant was made voluntary or amended to remove the uh, objectionable items. Now this came as a shock to uh, Trinity Western leaders um, uh, who had carefully played by all the rules and counted on the rulings by the Supreme Court of Canada in the most important of the previous uh, precedent cases in this matter the ruling of the Supreme Court of Canada in uh, Trin Trinity Western uh, University versus the BC College of Teachers, where the court ruled that the BC Teachers College's attempt to deny accreditation to graduates of Trinity Western University, their education faculty, was un unlawful on several grounds, notably the right to freedom of religion, Section 2A of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, in the absence of any evidence that uh, Trinity Western students were prone to illegal discriminatory uh, behavior. So that was a very, very important uh, precedent. Um, and uh, Trinity Western was counting upon that, and that was holding through the initial uh, stages of uh, applications uh, um, for uh, this accreditation. Now, as I argued uh, when I was here uh, two years ago in April of uh, uh, 2015, uh, it was in Nova Scotia where the first round of this battle would be played out, um, where Trinity Western University had appealed for judicial review of the regulations passed by the Nova uh, Scotia Barristers Society, which denied recognition in the province, Nova Scotia, of graduates of Trinity Western University Law School, unless the community covenant was made voluntary or amended to remove its illegal discriminatory pledges, which, as counsel for uh, the Nova Scotia Law Society uh, said, cultivated homophobia. Um, so all the, the expressions are being uh, used here. The principal arguments of the Nova Scotia Bar Society um, and other critics were that Trinity Western's covenant fostered discrimination prohibited by Section 15, the equality section of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 
and that the Supreme Court ruling of 2001, which protected uh, the uh, teacher's training program uh, at Trinity Western, no longer was applicable because uh, Canadian society had moved on progressively and uh, and had passed legislation uh, uh, supporting same-sex civil marriage. And so the times were different, and you couldn't simply go back to 2001 um, uh, to allow this type of um, a program. Um, okay. As well... Uh, the law societies, uh, uh, they claimed, uh, were, re- were required to act in the public uh, interest uh, to serve as guardians against discrimination within their own profession and more broadly in Canadian society. And that to permit the operation of Trinity Western's law school would send the wrong signal to the LGBT community and to Canadians generally especially since Trinity Western sought accreditation from government or quasi-governmental regulatory institutions, where secularist principles demanded strict neutrality, not affirmation of religion. Um, So, soon other uh, provincial bar associations or law societies jumped in, uh, and the, the really, I mean, the key associations are the Upper Canada Law Society, the Nova Scotia Law Society, the BC um, uh, Law Society. These are the most important, and all of them uh, indeed uh, uh, came out in uh, opposition to accreditation of Trinity Western uh, University um, uh, uh, the program for a law society. There was support from Alberta, Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and the Yukon. They either gave their support or they simply said it's not within our jurisdiction uh, to tell BC uh, lawyers what to do or what not to do, or Trinity Western for that matter. So, Obviously, the legal profession in Canada was deeply divided on the Trinity Western proposed law school. Um, uh, But the fact that the most influential law societies were opposed to this indeed uh, was very uh, alarming then uh, for uh, the cause of religious freedom and uh, to Trinity Western's desire to establish this school. Now, one of the, I should just pause here for a second. One of the really interesting things, I mean, these debates are dramatic. They are full of legal um, uh, expertise and language. I'm not a lawyer, but I've had to learn an awful lot of uh, legal jargon in all of this, but it's very impressive too, because here is the profession of law in Canada at its most intense um, and uh, they are struggling with all of this. It's passionate, but unlike many other parts of the world, we have, uh, you know, we do this in Canada in civil 
uh, ways. Now, sometimes the heat overcomes the civility and people start shouting at each other, I think has happened at UBC uh, on uh, these questions, but nevertheless, nobody's shooting anybody else. Uh, and uh, we, uh, you know, we have to remember that this is very, very important. But the fact is that not only are major principles at stake here, but it's the lawyers themselves that are up for grabs. And so it, this adds a tremendous element of drama and uh, uh, high-level discourse uh, to the debate. So I've uh, indeed enjoyed much of uh, reading into all of this. Um, so uh, the, the fact is you have, with this confrontation, the law society doing one thing, including uh, reversing themselves then in B.C., uh, they don't want Trinity Western uh, to proceed. Uh, there's massive mobilization all around uh, uh, this question, and the newspapers cover this quite intensively as well. Um, but it is obviously a major issue of uh, jurisprudence. Trinity Western uh, is well counseled in all of this, well experienced, and indeed uh, make sure that they get the appeal procedures going. And so right across Canada, from Nova Scotia to British Columbia, you have an intensive period uh, of uh, uh, of what is called judicial review then. And uh, in this, uh, Trinity Western uh, does fairly well, um, and one is impressed by the level of counsel and support in the terms of interveners that have come along beside Trinity Western University. Uh, as we saw when I last addressed this uh, group in April, uh, March and April, well, it's early, uh, I addressed the group in April, but it was in January of uh, 2015 that the uh, Nova Scotia uh, court under uh, Jamie Campbell issued uh, their uh, ruling, which was fully supportive of the religious freedom rights of Trinity Western University. Um, the Upper Canada, Upper Canada Law Society, Trinity Western, appealed their resolution refusing to recognize accreditation, uh, and the court supported them through an, an initial ruling and an appeal ruling in Ontario. Now, that is very, very uh, central uh, to the whole course of jurisprudence uh, in Canadian law. In B.C., uh, we did well in the initial appeal um, and in then the recent uh, ruling of uh, the British Columbia uh, Court of Appeal. Now, I, can I get this up here? Uh, because I'm going to cite uh, this uh, uh, ruling. How am I doing for time? We're going to run out of time soon. Okay. Do you have something to... It's on page four. Okay. Tell us what that says then. Okay, here we are. This is the heart of the ruling then from the BC Court of Appeal. It is their summary, and I couldn't do a better job than uh, uh, is uh, put up here. So let's just go over it briefly. The Law Society decided not to approve a law school. That's the BC Ventures. Uh, uh, because students attending TW must sign a community covenant which does not recognize same-sex marriage. 
Trinity sought judicial review. The decision was set aside by the chamber's judge. That was the first level of Trinity's appeal. So they won that one. The Law Society appealed that uh, ruling, and now in the BC Court of Appeal it is held. Uh, the appeal then is dismissed. Okay, so that's what Trinity Western and their counsel uh, wanted. The issue on appeal is whether the Law Society met a statutory duty to, to reasonably balance the conflicting charter rights engaged by its decision. The sexual orientation equality rights of LGBTQ persons and the religious freedom and rights of association of evangelical Christians. The benchers initially voted to approve Trinity's law school, as I've said. That decision was met with a backlash from members of the Law Society who viewed it as an endorsement of discrimination against LGBTQ persons. The benchers decided to hold a referendum and to be bound by the outcome. The majority of lawyers, I think it was about two to one, voted against approval. The benchers then reversed their earlier position and passed the revolution not to approve Trinity's Law School. In doing so, the benchers abdicated their responsibility to make the decision entrusted to them by the legislature. They also failed to weigh the impact of the decision on the rights engaged. It was not open to the benchers to simply adopt the decision preferred by the majority. The impact on charter rights must be assessed concretely based on evidence, not perception. Uh, the evidence before the Law Society demonstrated that while LGBTQ students would be unlikely to access the 60 additional law school places at Trinity's Law School if it were approved, the overall impact on access to legal education and hence to the profession would be minimal. Some students who would otherwise have accepted or have occupied the remaining 2,500 law school seats would choose to attend <coughs> Trinity, resulting in more options for all students. Further, denying approval would not enhance access to law schools for LGBTQ students. In contrast, the decision not to approve the law school would have a severe impact on Trinity Western University's rights. The qualification of students graduating from Trinity Law Program would not be recognized and graduates would not be able to apply to practice law in BC. The practical effect of non-approval is that Trinity cannot operate a law school and cannot therefore exercise fundamental religion, religious and associative rights that would otherwise be guaranteed under Section uh, 2 of the Charter. Now, this is the heart of it. In a diverse and pluralistic society, government regulatory approval of entities with differing beliefs is a reflection of state neutrality. It is not an endorsement of a group's beliefs. Um, the Law Society's decision not to approve Trinity's Law School is unreasonable because it limits the right to freedom of religion in a disproportionate way, significantly more than is reasonably necessary to meet the Law Society's public interest objective. So that is as clear as you can make it. And like the Nova Scotia uh, ruling of uh, Justice Jamie Campbell, it is a stinging indictment of the one can only call it the bigotry of law societies in attempting to proscribe uh, the uh, law 
faculty proposed by Trinity Western University. So this indeed uh, was a cause for great celebration, not only for Trinity, but I think for all faith communities uh, uh, in uh, Canada. And the endorsement of religious and associative uh, freedoms and rights uh, for religious communities uh, in Canada. So I've got several conclusions here. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes, and I, I certainly want to leave some time for um, uh, discussion. Now, I've, what I've just said is the heart of what I want to conclude. Um, the, uh, as with the case of the Nova Scotia Court, so with the case of the British Columbia Court of Appeal. These courts have endorsed and affirmed per pretty much the whole uh, spectrum of arguments made by Trinity Western University and its council and its array of supportive institutions. And indeed, uh, there, there are more than half a dozen um, uh, religious, mostly Christian, uh, uh, groupings and lobbyists like the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, like the Catholic Archbishop of Vancouver, uh, Archbishopric of Van Vancouver, and an array of uh, uh, religious uh, uh, study groups and lobby groups that have come and stood beside Trinity Western at the highest level of uh, legal counsel and argumentation. So that is very, very impressive too, and that is absolutely essential in Canada. Support these groups. Join the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. Support CARDIS and, and uh, these types of groups because this is where we're at, and if we don't uh, defend rights and freedoms of, of Christians and other faith communities in Canada, we will lose out. Um, now, uh, let me uh, just say a couple of things. Uh, yes, there's much to applaud in these rulings, but uh, there are, are still, I would say, ca causes for concern. Now, I, I, and here we can open for a discussion, um, I am concerned as to what is going to happen in the Supreme Court. Um, the fact that they did not say, and maybe some of the lawyers here can help me out on this, but I, uh, the signal here is the fact they did not say that no, uh, the 2001 ruling that we gave uh, is so similar to what's uh, in, entailed in, in this particular case that we do not uh, entertain then leave to appeal, but consider that ruling as determinative. That's the legal expression that would be used here. They have opened uh, this can again, uh, and they're going to uh, uh, address it. Um, now, some of the ruling since I last spoke here uh, on matters like this uh, in the Supreme Court of Canada have gone very positively for religious communities. Uh, in uh, Montreal, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that the government could not impose uh, on Catholic schools, um, it was Loyola, uh, Loyola School, um, a ethics and cultural um, a program that had to be taught from a secularist 
point of view. Uh, Loyola had uh, appealed for exemption and to teach a similar program, but within a confessional Catholic framework. The Supreme Court of Canada got finally to the Supreme Court of Canada said, no, this cannot be imposed on a confessional school. They have their religious freedom rights. Okay, so that was important. Another um, important Supreme Court case was when um, uh, uh, in Saguenay, uh, Quebec, all these things that seem to be happening in Quebec, um, where the long tradition was in their uh, city council that you started off the proceedings with uh, uh, the mayor leading a prayer, usually the Lord's Prayer, to, and that would be the beginning of things. Well, someone on council who was offended by this, uh, an atheist, as he uh, made it clear, uh, objected that this violated, discriminated against his freedom of conscience uh, and violated uh, his rights and therefore that this was discriminatory and had to be ended. Now this is a big, big case because across Canada, as you well know, the tradition uh, in many public institutions including all the schools in the public schools when I was growing up in Manitoba um, was that you would have this type of a prayer at the beginning of, uh, 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 of the day's procedures and so right up to uh, the House of Commons where it still happens um, as a, a session uh, begins, as the day begins, uh, uh, and as an official part of the record, all members are required to stand while some type of prayer, usually a pretty ecumenical prayer now, uh, is uh, read. Now, the Supreme Court of Canada has said, across Canada, whether at the, you know, provincial levels, municipal levels, uh, uh, that this is uh, illegal and unconstitutional. But they have done it arguing that this has to happen on the basis of strict neutrality. Uh, this, of course, is going to, I think, impact on what will happen in the Supreme Court of Canada on Trinity Western. Let us hope and pray that the arguments that have been mobilized very articulate, powerfully um, by uh, the courts of appeal uh, and not least in BC then, where it was unanimous. The five justices uh, were unanimous in this, and that counts for an awful lot. And so also in uh, Nova Scotia. Let us hope that, that these arguments in defense of fundamental rights of religious freedom uh, and association, that these uh, will, will prevail. In any event, I'll probably get invited back for a sixth presentation. <laughs> anyway, thank you, then. That's uh, what I want to say. Here. So anybody with questions, let's uh, hear them now in the time we have left. Yes? Uh, this, is, this has been really enlightening, you know, the way you have gone through the historical background of this. I'm um, confused a little bit about the behavior of the school relating to um, a gay or lesbian, etc., etc. Uh, LB, I don't ever get the letters right, sorry. <laughs> anyway, the community being excluded uh, from studying law there. But a greater concern would be to me that 
if you have developed a culture in which you say, these behaviors are wrong, 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 and, and you must sign um, a statement to that effect, and they move into a court situation where total objectivity is to be practiced, how can somebody who has grown up and been educated in a culture that said these behaviors are wrong, and it's been reinforced by making them sign things and so on, how can you expect total objectivity from that person once they're employed as a lawyer or a judge? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's sure. um, not possible. Well, exactly, and that's, I think, at the core of the problems mm -hmm. of strict neutrality. Now, let's say a couple of things here first, that um, this, as all of these appeals that have come down on Trinity Western's side, and as Trinity Western Council admits, uh, this uh, covenant does violate um, in the public sphere uh, the uh, rights and freedoms of the LGBTQ uh, community. It does, and it offends them. Uh, and they are understandably mobilized against this. On the other hand, Trinity Western University has its rights to religious freedom. So here, how do you be objective? How do you be neutral when these rights collide? Mm -hmm. Now, what the Nova Scotia courts have said, what the BC courts of appeal have said is, yes, uh, this is a question where rights are in conflict. And in that, they go back then to case law and the procedures of trying to be objective and neutral in sorting out what is the best kind of compromise which can be reached. And here, the indictment has been against those uh, uh, supporting or those who have attempted to proscribe Trinity Western's law faculty, the various law societies and their supporters, in not attempting reasonably to balance these com uh, competing <coughs> rights but relying exclusively on Section 15 and privileging that section over Section 2. And everybody that was involved in the drafting of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms refused to put a hierarchy on, I think there are five or so uh, sections uh, uh, of fundamental freedoms and rights that are at the core of Canada's jurisprudence and democracy. There is not a hierarchy here. So balancing compromise, objectivity, can you count on this? Uh, and indeed, from that's what I uh, was saying in, in, in talking about conclusions here. Uh, there is uh, uncertainty as to where the Supreme Court is going to go. On the Leola case, it was 4-3, and Beverly McLaughlin, Chief Justice, was in the minority there. On the other hand, I've heard her speak, um, this would be about 10 years or so ago at McGill where I attended a conference and she was the featured speaker and she addressed the question of freedom of religion in uh, charter jurisprudence. And it seemed to me quite reassuring that she was fully appraised of all of this and that this would be given its due place in uh, case law. Uh, ahead. So let us hope and pray that what she said then still prevails, uh, but uh, 
I wouldn't count completely on it. Yes? Is it not reasonable as an analogy to the last question to say then that there's no such thing as a uh, neutral or objective or a good criminal defense lawyer? Well, there are a lot. Uh, <laughs> there are. Yes. Yeah. My answer to that is, uh, you know, there are a lot worse uh, procedures than the quest for objectivity and neutrality. Um, uh, I mean, uh, dictatorships uh, where the judiciary is under the thumb of the uh, the leadership and all the rest of it. Uh, Canada has, I think, rightly a very honorable tradition and history of jurisprudence. And so, you know, uh, I hope the lawyers do a good job and the justices do a good job in this. They're trying to do this. But this is at the heart of public life in Canada now, where we have gone through these transformations. And uh, it may not be possible that we have uh, uh, certainly a majority that defends religious freedoms, but then it is the responsibility of the judiciary to protect religious minorities. We are a religious minority now in Canada, and that's the key thing uh, in terms of uh, protections. Can we be protected by the law uh, and uh, it's uncertain. It's uncertain. Yes. Thanks for your presentation. Uh, two questions that are related. One first is um, the Justice Department, our ministry under Stephen Harper's government, was submitting some briefs in favor of Trinity Western mm-hmm. at the lower courts. Uh, that practice has stopped under the Trudeau government. Mm-hmm. Is there any indication from the government now as to? Uh, why that's the case, why the government has changed its its position on this matter. second question is related to that. As I understand it, this is an education matter, meaning it's under the purview of the provinces. Mm -hmm. If and when the law school gets approved, do we have any indication that a government wouldn't necessarily grant a charter to the law school? I know the BC Liberals did, and then Mm -hmm. once this went through the courts, they said, well, we're going to wait until this Mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. If we elect uh, a progressive government, this may, could that um, charter not see renewal? Okay. On the first question, uh, the Harper government's interventions related to the questions of jurisdiction, whether provincial or federal, and they argued that the Nova Scotia, if I remember correctly, Bar Association did not have the legal right to uh, uh, make rulings or indeed uh, uh, proscriptions in another province. Um, So the the Trudeau government has backed off uh, from that uh, and I guess are strictly neutral uh, on on this right now. Now, the second uh, uh, question... Uh, refresh me on that one now on, oh yes, the government of BC. Uh, the Minister of Events and Education has reversed himself again, or herself, whoever it is right now. Uh, uh, and uh, so they indeed will grant accreditation if uh, uh, it proceeds now through the, to the Supreme Court. But, um, uh, you know... What, what it, about the, um, should there be a change in the government of the province? Oh, if... Who can tell? Uh, Again, here is where politics, the question of objectivity, bias, neutrality, 
I would uh, surmise that the liberal government, if it is re-elected, will be happy to affirm uh, a charter for uh, uh, Trinity Law Faculty. If the NDP is elected, I think the LGBT community will express tremendous outrage if the government were to... Uh, uh, they may just leave it if the... Uh, you know, it's already... Uh, given affirmation by the uh, Ministry of Advanced Education, it'll cause a tremendous outrage all over the place uh, if the Supreme Court affirms it and the BC government didn't uh, uh, try to prescribe it under, say, an, an NDP government. Um, but I don't have <laughs> a political speech to make on no, I just all of this. Start with a couple of different ideas or different approaches to it. That one of the elements, in elements that are not really strictly religious, but they're there. Uh, and what we have is essentially the government and the law society being hypocrites, because they're they're involved in very very different places, uh, and all the other actors. Uh, as individuals are hypocrites as well, because they're a mixture of things going on all the time. First of all, the covenant or the prescription of good behavior, bad behavior, goes back to an old idea which is still around, but we don't call it the same thing, and we don't address the same issues anymore. Codes of conduct. Codes of conduct. I helped write the one for UBC. Okay. Yes, but I'm thinking of a principle called in loco parentis. Okay. Uh, in the place of the parents. Yes. And if you go back to 1960, the universities had a lot of in loco parentis. They had deans of women and deans of men, and they had a lot to say about how students behave. Yes. They don't have the same roles anymore. Yes. Except for certain things. They yeah. get all worked up about very particular issues. Yes. Uh, but not yeah. 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 not whether you're sleeping with somebody anymore. Yeah, what you uh, what you see is that uh, on your last point there, Trudeau wanted to get the state out of the bedrooms of the nation. Uh, okay. Uh, what happened was the state is in every corner of every a bedroom and every uh, room in the house and everything else back with all types of uh, extremely excruciatingly difficult jurisprudence as to what is abusive behavior. The media, the Globe and Mail, of course, is full of this every day. Where is the state? You know, what is the court to do? Uh, how do you proceed in these tremendous conflicts when a consensus uh, on morality and culture uh, that underlies law yeah. in old Canada has been right. destroyed. So what's going to replace it? Yeah. Now, okay. let me go with a different idea now. If you look at other law schools, not in Canada, but in the United States, that have their own covenant or rules, sure. and there are some, mm -hmm. and by and large, all law schools have their rules, Yes. Uh, if you misbehave in the law school as a student, the law school will almost certainly inform the, the 
State Bar Association, when they do something by judging the moral character of the applicant to be licensed yeah. in the state. Mm -hmm. And that's a separate thing from taking the bar exam, which is a three-day written exam. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a slightly different process than what you do yeah. in Canada. Yeah. Now, but more importantly, more particularly, there are schools that do have their own very explicit covenants yes. that are not, not, not unlike yes. when you arrested. Two examples. One is the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana, which is a very prominent, important Roman Catholic church. And the other, which is prominent, is Brigham Young University in Salt Lake City, which is the LDS or Mormon church. Yes, university. Well, that's very interesting, but unfortunately, I can hear the last hymn being sung, and I'm going to ask you to leave that discussion to the two of you after the session has closed. Well, let me just say that Council for uh, Trinity Western is fully opposed <laughs> of the American examples yes. of excellence in confessionally based law schools, and they shoved this right through their Absolutely. Excellent. All right, well, clearly, uh, uh, very uh, interesting topic for many of us, and I, I just want to take this last moment uh, to to thank you so much for doing such a, a brilliant job of uh, clarifying and taking us through an illogical. And yes, you are invited back to the session after the Supreme Court meets. But I, and I, I also appreciate your encouragement to pray because this does impact all of us and, and the future. And you've done this in just such a lovely, lovely, clear way for us. Thank you so much. Thank you.